Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. So Molly and I are super excited to uh, to be sharing what we're sharing today, and we are doing something that we really never do, and that is co-teach, um, and, and every time we co-teach, we discover why we don't co-teach. <laughs> Our approaches are so different to this stuff. We kind of had designed it to be just like this little conversational talk about marriage, and that's actually the way that Molly approached it, and so she's got two points uh, or two tips because we're doing tips and tricks for the new year that are going to help us to thrive. So she's got her two tips, and she is kind of taking a, a, a sort of a easygoing approach. I've got my two tips, but just with 27 points. He's totally uh, stressed me out because I saw his document, and it was 13 pages. Right. And I'm like, 13 pages! I can't not show up what with 13 pages. Like, so I was like, you're stressing me out. I know, yeah. We had to almost stop talking about it. All the way to the point where Jim was walking up with the podium, like, we don't need the podium. Molly's like, we need the podium like okay center i'm like this is, <laughs> this, is this is the way it goes so uh so today uh and first of all by the way i know there's a handful of people that are newer here at thrive welcome to you guys we're so honored that you would come and spend time with us um so just a tiny bit of background about molly and i molly and i met um at purdue university a long long time ago in a galaxy far away um and the way that our sort of dating and marriage thing went is that we were in a class together um, for one semester and we started to be friends at the second half of that class. We started dating in January. We were engaged in March and we were married in August. And um, and I honestly, it's worked so well for us that that's what we counsel all new people to do. Like... <laughs> If you're getting married, uh, try to get hitched as soon as you can so they don't know all the junk that they're marrying into, because otherwise they may just bolt, right? So uh, so that's kind of what we did, and that's actually not what we counsel people to do. You know, miraculously, it's worked out in our case. But um, I used to think, before I got married, I, I came into this thing thinking, I am going to be awesome, at marriage. Like, I am going to kill this thing. I am ph- going to be phenomenal at it. The other thing I thought as I watched other people raise their kids, I looked at their kids and I thought, my children will never do that. <laughs> right? It turns out they didn't do that. They did just things that are 10 times worse than that thing. Right? So I also predicted in the, uh, in the early 80s, this was me, I predicted that bottled water would never take. Right? <laughs> Who's going to pay for bottled water? And you see how that prediction went. So, uh, so anyway, that's, that's kind of how we, uh, how we got started. Any thoughts there? (laughs) We're supposed to like, this is going to be such a funny debacle because we're supposed to like kind of cue each other on things. Anyway, you were supposed to say your cue. Okay. All right. So we have four tips and tricks that we have discovered through living life. We celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this summer. Uh, Yeah. Thanks. And so we've got four tips and tricks that we want to share with you guys that are going to help you both in marriage, but really in any uh, relationship at all, in any key relationship, almost the more important the relationship, the more powerful this stuff will be. But this is going to impact all of your relationships if you let it. So you have a question for me. What's your first tip? There it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so corny. Okay, so here is uh, the first tip or trick that we have for building great relationships, particularly marriage relationships. And I want to start with just a little bit of background here. Um, we have some dear friends, uh, Jerry and Rick Rusbazen back there, and uh, we're really close with them. And we actually have gotten the, the privilege of getting to know Jerry's uh, mom and dad, Nick and Trudy. And uh, Nick uh, celebrated his 90th birthday over Christmas time, um, and they have been married for 67 years. And they have a killer, killer marriage. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a really tough year because Trudy went on to be with the Lord over over the summertime, uh, and so uh, just before Christmas, I went to visit Nick and to um, just kind of hang out with him and see how he was doing. Molly and I actually got to uh, be a part of them celebrating their 60th uh, anniversary. We renewed their vows when they when their their marriage turned 60. It was such a fun fun thing for us. I actually bought a new pair of khakis for it. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I sat at uh, at Nick's kitchen table and we were just chatting about stuff. And it, all of a sudden, it occurred to me I've got like this golden opportunity because this man is uh, has such a wealth of knowledge and experience and he is loved by his family and I am just a huge fan of his and so I said hey Nick what is the secret to a great and long-lasting marriage and his answer was really really quick and he said this he said don't keep score don't keep score. It was, the only, it was the only advice that he gave me. He said, don't keep score. It never works in relationships. And I was like, okay, I'm going to ponder that. I'm going to think about that. And that was really, really good. Um, and I, I thought about 1 Corinthians 13, which we, for whatever reason, we don't talk about that very often here. But 1 Corinthians 13, as you may have heard, says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it doesn't keep the record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. And, and I thought, that's really, really true. But at the same time, when Nick was talking about not keeping score, I think he would also say that love doesn't keep record of rights. Either. And, and I, I want to tell you guys that all of the things that Molly and I are going to share today are all sort of aspirational things. They're all things that we are in process with. We're working on these things. They're things that we strive for and sometimes we're successful at them and sometimes we're less successful. But this whole thing of keeping score, that is something that I personally really, really struggle with. But keeping score in marriage or in, in any kind of a key relationship, whether it's a sibling or something like that, even at work, it is death to connection and is death to good relationship because and there's a couple of reasons one is is that keeping score creates a winner and a loser in our relationships and in a marriage relationship in particular or in any good relationship don't we only want win winners don't we all don't we only really want both parties in the relationship to win but you see when we start keeping score we start coming against each other and using that scoreboard as a means of leveraging listen to this of leveraging power to get the person that we're relating to to do the thing that we want them to do but power gearing like kind of like amping up and using power in a relationship can you guys sense that that is sort of the 
last thing that we actually want to cultivate in our deep connections, in our good relationships, right? We don't want to use leverage. We don't want to use power. Instead, we want to create a space where people feel free and open to step into that place to love voluntarily. Does that make sense? And here's, here's the other thing that, that I've noticed um, with, with you and I, Molly. When it comes to keeping score, we are horrible scorekeepers. We are the worst. I've got a picture, I think, up here. Do you have my picture of, uh, of uh, bubbles? Okay. So up here, this is a picture of Bubbles and the Shrew. Okay, so Bubbles is that guy on the left, and the Shrew is down there on the right-hand side. I probably didn't need to explain that to you. But anyway, the reason I chose these two uh, images is because Bubbles is a guy from, a, from a, a TV show called Trailer Park Boys, but the whole gag is like his ginormous eyes, right? And one of the things that I've learned in my interactions with Molly over the years is that I have eyes like Bubbles for all the good things that I do. I see so clearly all of my hard work, my acts of love, my sacrifice. I see the stuff that I did the last time, like who did the dishes? Well, I did them the last time. Who got to pick the restaurant? You got to pick the restaurant. Now it's my turn. My eyes for what I should, what I have done and my eyes for what I should get are absolutely ginormous. And it's just true. I'm not, I'm not even, this isn't like a gag. This is actually the way that I see my life in my marriage. But I turn into a shrew when it comes to seeing Molly's effort. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. I can see so clearly how I have sacrificed and how I love and how I care and how she got her way the last time. But it is so difficult. I don't know why. But I don't have good vision for the ways that Molly serves me. She serves me all the time, and I just miss it, or I dismiss it, or I minimize it. And so that all is about keeping score. And so Nick, wise Nick, would say, Kevin, don't keep score in relationship. You got something to say? A question. Oh, okay. Question coming. I could see the microphone just well, I rising. Just, I was waiting. I was waiting for my moment. Okay, okay. So, what would happen if we would do this? If we would drop the scorecard? Yeah. What would the benefit be? Okay. So, so there are some really, really powerful benefits to dropping the scorecard, and that is that if we gave up our scorecards. Um, all of a sudden, one of the things that would happen is that our, our connection would cease to be um, a competition, and instead we would be able to adopt what I like to call kingdom math, right? And so kingdom math is this. Jesus said this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you to ta and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so when Molly says, hey, would you uh, do the dishes? My first instinct is so often to say, well, I did them the last time. But if I can just sacrificially give that away, um, and if I tried to do this thing that Paul talks about, which is outdo one another in showing honor, um, 
all of a sudden there's this connection that begins to happen and our, our trust begins to blossom and uh, all of a sudden there becomes space where when I'm serving and I'm not keeping track for you to move towards me instead of leveraging power to get what I want I can create an open space by serving and, and forgetting the past and just being present to honor and to love in the moment and I've noticed that when I do that when I quit thinking about the scoreboard and just step into love and step into going that extra mile in our relationship that you tend to come towards me. One way, scorekeeping repels and it divides. Do you guys understand this? And dropping that, giving up keeping score and just living to love, it, I've noticed that it, it helps you to come closer to me. You often carry an extra shirt around with you. An extra shirt? Yeah. So a lot of times we go out and Kevin has an extra shirt. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm always cold mm -hmm. and he always gives me his shirt. And he's a lot of times he's like, I brought it because I knew you were going to be cold. Uh -huh. So there you go. You, you kind of you planned out the extra. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah. You think ahead. Yeah. Well, and I just want to tell one more real quick story. And this has more to do with the workplace. So um, I, I will never forget sort of the impact that this shift in my thinking made actually when I was in the army. So when I, st when I started in the army, um, I was just like, I didn't want to be there. I was a, a kid, 18 year old kid with a bad attitude. And I sort of did the least amount possible to, to just not get in trouble. Right. Uh, but during the time when I was in the army, um, I gave my life to Christ and I really fell in love with God and I just started living for him. And so I started reading the Bible. And one of the things that I read was that verse about going the extra mile. And so I shifted in my thinking when I was in the army. And I decided, you know what, instead of me constantly trying to take turns with everybody, like before, if I had done the last job and there was some other private that was going to, you know, that it was his turn, I would hang back. I wouldn't do it. I would just let them go, right, and let the sergeant make somebody else do it. But after I read that scripture and became a Christian, I, I decided that I was just going to, every, at every opportunity, I was going to step into the yes. I was going to volunteer myself. And what didn't matter if it was my turn, I was just going to say yes. And miraculously, I started as like sort of a bad soldier and in a span it sort of shocked me in a span of 12 months I was promoted three times and um, I actually got to represent the army this is so silly but I got to represent the army in this strategic defense initiative thing and it was just like a crazy thing but it was all because I just followed the scripture and I decided to quit keeping track and keeping score of when it was my turn or somebody else's turn to help and I just volunteered myself in it so even in the workplace this is powerful stuff it reminds me of kingdom math reminds me of where God promises I'll exalt the humble, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, right. And so it's like, let's see what that would be like. Yeah. Right, if yeah. That's really good. Okay. okay. You got a, you got a couple tips, right? I got a couple tips. All right. Okay. I wonder if you guys are like me and I grew up in my formative years and I grew up kind of watching what Hollywood fed me about relationships, about love, about marriage. And so I grew up with this expectation that my life was going to be like this Hollywood story, like every, like these over and over again, right? Whether it was TV or movies where it was going to be like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks and like, you've got mail or sleepless in Seattle where this is a storyline, right? Life is a mess. You're a mess. Like you just are going through life, wandering through life waiting for that magical moment when you meet him or the friend or the, you know, whatever, that other person that you've been waiting for, right? It's that hero's journey and it's all tension and it's a mess until love happens, right? Until finally love comes knocking at your door, right? 
where we fed this, this understanding. This is what it's going to be like for me. And my life is going to be incomplete until, thank you, Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? And so I grew up with this expectation. And so my first tip is this. It is undo the unspoken expectation. That I believe we come into life with this unspoken expectation. It's your job to make me happy. And it's my job to make you happy, right? Like my life will not be whole. I will not be restored. I won't be, all, I won't be totally happy until I meet you. I'm in relationship with you. And then you will make me happy. And so we, I, I feel like we come in with this then, this, this already the set up belief that this is my job. It's to make you happy, and your job is to make me happy. And so we come in with this. It's really kind of in some ways, it's a powerless place because you now have the power to make me happy, and only you have the power to make me happy, or I have the power to make you happy, or to, to make you you know feel satisfied or complete or whatever it may be. And now I've given away all my power to someone else, right? And that is their job. And so then we find ourselves kind of in this constant cycle of blame and powerlessness because now if I'm not happy, if I'm not feeling what I need to be feeling, it's your fault, right? If you would just, if you would just grow up, if you would just learn how to communicate, if you would just get neater or more organized, right? We do this. We do this in our relationships, whether it's our boss, our friends, our parents, whoever it may be. We give away our power. We give away that responsibility for our own emotions to someone else, whoever it may be. And it's just this powerless message. It's this powerless message. And the focus becomes someone else, right? The focus is out there on someone else to make me feel something, have something, be something, Focus is somewhere else. Cool. So, so what? How do you not put this on people? Like, how do you, uh, yeah, how do you relate to somebody without putting your hope and your peace and your, you know, your happiness on their shoulders? That, that you know they have to act a certain way or serve you in a certain way. What do you do? Yeah, that's good. Did um, I ask that question the right way? You asked that question perfectly. Okay, good. Yeah. So how Kevin's kind of asking, how do you undo this unspoken expectation, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're trying to get to here. So there's one word changed my life. There's one word that I learned semi-recently, actually, and it's this word it's differentiation. Say that. Differentiation. differentiation. Big word. Word of the day. Differentiation. So this is what this means. In every relationship, you get to be you and I get to be me. You get to be you, and I get to be me. This means I live within myself. I am responsible for my own well-being, my own happiness, my own anger, my own growth, right? I am responsible for me. And here's the deal. We can be connected. We are. We're connected, like Kevin was talking about, but we're separate. We're separate. There's places where I stop and you start. And I like this image. Um, I, I think about this, and I think about this is what came to mind first, the egg, the egg. Can you see there? That's kind of blurry, but there's the white part and there's the yolk. And the yolk is it's, it's connected, right? It's an egg. It's all egg. But there's these distinct parts to it. There's a white part that is contained and there's a yolk that is contained. And uh, we have 
one kid who likes the fried egg in the family, and I had to learn how to make the fried egg. And often, I would make it in the beginning, and the yolk would spill out into the white, right? And this is what I think happens a lot of times in our relationships, is we don't have this healthy differentiation, and we bleed out into the other person, and we, we kind of stop realizing, I'm responsible for me, and you're responsible for you. And we start thinking, you know, you are my response. Your feelings are my responsibility. And, you know, my needs are your needs now. And you have to meet them, right? But differentiation says this. I don't control you. And, and you don't control me. I, you don't have to make me happy. I control myself. And for a long time, I, I came into marriage and my yoke just bled all over Kevin, right? And I, I really did feel like he was responsible for my feelings. And I felt like he had to be like me. And if he wasn't like me, honestly, it was scary, right? And so I spent a lot of time trying to get to convince Kevin to change Kevin to think like I think to like want the kitchen clean at the end of the night. Like this is how we get peace. This is right here. Killing kitchen at the end of the night equals peace, right? I wanted Kevin to spend money on clothing and not eating out like me, right? Like you have something that you can wear over and over again, right? Like I wanted him to communicate like me, connect with God like I did. It took me a long time to get to this point, right? I could, you get to be you, Kevin, in this relationship and I get to be me. And I'm going to separate that out a little bit. Okay, can I give you a scripture? Sure. Okay, here's a scriptural example of this, where I'm responsible for myself, you're responsible for you. You get to decide who you're going to be, and I get to decide who I'm going to be in our relationship. And this example is Jesus. Jesus was able to live completely differentiated from the people around him, all the circles, his tight group, the bigger group, the crowd, and he controlled himself. He decided for himself who he was going to be, what he was going to do, and here's a great example. This is John 13, and this is right before he's facing the cross, and it says this. It says, um, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this is how he showed this. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, Iscariot to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was, re- and was returning to God. He knew exactly who he was and what he was responsible for. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the thing that gets me. Jesus knew what was next. He knew that the disciples were going to reject him. They were going to betray him. They were going to run, abandon him in his hour of need. He knew full well what was coming. But he was responsible for himself. And he decided that he was going to love them until the end. That's what he was going to do. He was responsible to the father. He was responsible to live out his identity, his call, who the father said that he was. And in that place, he could get down and serve them, even though they were going to slap him in the face in the next chapter, right? Like it didn't matter what the disciples were going to do. He decided to be responsible for himself and love them to the end because that's who he was going to be. Isn't that an amazing story? I think this is, like, it's okay. Like, you know, you get to be you, and you may hurt me, and you may fail me, but I still get to show up in love. 
I still am responsible for myself, and here's who I'm going to be and what I am going to do and what I'm not going to do. It's an amazing example. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds amazing, right? Doesn't it? But (laughs) (laughs) it's a great theory. What, What has it been like for you to make that shift from trying to pull from me to get your happiness or to get your peace to like t- taking it on, on your own and between you and the Lord. Like, is that scary? Was it sad or, you know what, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a wrestle yeah. and in all of this guys, it, this is a growth thing. Like I maybe can take a baby step and then I fall, you know, you go back and you're like, it's, I get back into a cycle. that's not super healthy. And then take another, maybe couple steps forward into it. Um, but I feel like a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in terms of um, taking back the like the concept of this who I am going to be. What I'm going to show up according to my values or my priorities. It's like it is a more powerful, maybe freer position to live from, as opposed to feeling like I'm I can't do those things until he does. It's it just gives away all like really choice and power and freedom mm-hmm. in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say the benefit would be just be the freedom of mm-hmm. like, I can choose, I can choose to do right, I can choose to live in love. Yeah, it's good. So really that's my next tip. It brings me right to my next tip, which is this. Use your moments to learn to love. Use your moments to learn to love. And here's the deal, guys. When I, come, when I get that story about Jesus and, and really kind of getting before the Lord and going, okay, well, what am I responsible for? Who, how am I going to show up? This simple, simple concept of learning to love just comes to the surface time and time again. And it's simple and it's basic and it's foundational. But coming back to that question of who do I want to be in this relationship? Well, I want to learn to love mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. Um, I heard this story once about a man who was struck by lightning. He was actually struck by lightning twice. And the second time he died and he um, was before the Lord. He was in heaven. He was standing before God. And he, uh, the story goes this, like God didn't ask him, did you give all your money to the poor? God didn't ask him, did you raise the dead? He stood in front of God and God asked him, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And the man answered honestly, and he said, no, I didn't. And so God gave him another shot, and, uh, and he came back to life, and he then spent his days living under this question over and over again, am I learning to love? Did I learn to love today? Did I learn to love this morning in that last bit of conflict? And Kevin was like, is that true? I'm like, I, I don't know if it's true, but it sure fits with 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin brought up, I'm going to read the first part of that scripture and this is going to sound familiar but man do we need this reminder if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor or give my body to hardship that I may may boast but do not have love I gain nothing. So here's the question that I want to learn to answer every day that I want to come back to over and over again. The question that God is asking of us, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? In every day of our lives, guys, we get to answer this question. 
Honestly, every moment we are being shaped kind of one direction or another. It is a, it's moments of decision time and time again, or opportunity time and time again. What kind of life am I shaping? Am I shaping an answer to the question, did I learn to love? And it really is a simple kind of reset, refocus, recenter where we go, this is just tra- training ground. All this life is just training ground. My relationship with you is training ground. My relationship with my boss, it's training ground. And again, could have blown it 15 minutes ago. And Kevin and I do lots of like, all right, let's go take a break. Like, let's separate and let's, I, I get back to like, okay, God, help. You know, here I am, help. Okay, Molly, what would love look like? What would love look like in this case? How would love act? How would love respond? And coming back to that, Again, I get to decide. You get to decide who are you becoming. Did you learn to love? Can I say something? Yes. So one thing that I want to be really, really honest with you guys about is that um, this, some of what we're talking about, you may not be able to do it on your own. Like, you know, tell, tell them just our journey of like working on marriage and stuff like that. So we've been working on marriage. Now we're always, it's just something you are always working on, right? Mm-hmm. It's so important to us. Like, what are we building? Who are we becoming? What are we leaving for the next generation? So we, we love counseling. We are huge fans of counseling. Um, we, books, can I give you a good resource? It's called Keep Your Love On or Keeping Your Love On. It's Danny Silk. Um, he has a whole organization. There's a podcast, Keep Your Love On. So, so good. The stuff that I was talking about, really, I, stuff that I've learned from him. Keep Your Love On. What else would you say? Emotionally focused, emotionally healthy spirituality um, that the Searles are doing and emotionally healthy relationship. It's Pete Scazzaro. A lot of consonants in that one. Um, Really, really good resource for you. Please work at it because it takes attention. Yeah. So I have some self-reflection questions. Should we do them at the end? Uh, Yeah. Why don't you do this at the end? Okay. Okay, cool. Good job, Miles. All right. So one last tip. How are you guys doing? Are you tipped out? All right. One thing I might encourage you to do um, is maybe just pray about one of these things and really try to go deep with it over the next couple of months. But here's um, the last tip that we have. And I'm really excited about this. I love this one. And it's simply this. We are dust. We are dust. And one of the, the most liberating things that I've learned over the last 25 years of marriage uh, 22 years in ministry, 53 years on planet Earth, all of that stuff is that we are a mixed bag. Every one of us. We are all a bit of a mess. Every one of us. And, um, you know, of course, the Bible is just one story after another story of messy people. And Molly and I, like I said earlier, we got married so quickly that I actually thought that this marriage thing was going to be sort of a slam dunk. Uh, and, and I was completely wrong. Our first married fight was um, Molly and I went for a jog and as we were running we were praying together and we started to fight because we felt like the other person was praying for too long and we didn't get to have our prayers long enough right and I'm sure God was going what what is wrong with you guys you're fighting about praying right like Lord help us. But here's the thing. The thing is, is that God, um, he is so amazing because he knows that 
what is absolutely required, if he in his perfection, if God in his infinite holiness, if God in his infinite love, if God in his infinite wisdom, if he is going to relate to you and I in our mess, in all of our foibles, in all of our junk, in all of our little picadillos or whatever it is that we have, you know that the first thing that has to come if we're going to have a relationship with God is grace. He cannot have any kind of a connection with us or any kind of a relationship with, 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 relationship with us unless he extends grace first to us. Does that make sense? And so I love Psalm 103. It's absolutely one of my favorite Psalms. I'm going to give you just a tiny snippet here. But Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14 says this, the Lord is like a father to his children. I love that that's who our God is. He is tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows, here it is, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. And those words for me, you guys, are so, so life-giving because I can know, okay, God, thank you that you know that I am a mess, that I am a mixed bag. And so God, being the healthy one in my relationship with him, he takes the lead in showing grace. He takes the lead in mercy. He takes the lead in tenderness because he knows that if he wants to have any kind of relationship with me, he's going to have to show all kinds of grace. And can I tell you that if you want to have any kind of a relationship with anyone in your life, you know what you're going to have to lead with, right? Grace. You're going to have to lead with tenderness and with mercy. And since you are the healthy one in your relationship, it needs to happen with you first. And of course, what does this grace look like? Well, it's, it's described right there. It looks like tender compassion. And that's tender compassion both for us and for them. And that's actually really, really important because I need to have tender compassion for myself because if I'm not, if I don't have compassion, if I don't have humility, if I can't um, reconcile myself to the fact that I'm just a bit of a mess, you know what happens, right? I get really, really defensive and I have to defend what is indefensible. It paints me into a corner where I have to, to, to block out any accusation, and I have to deny all kinds of behavior that is so obviously wrong, so obviously far from what I'm supposed to do, and I know it and she knows it, but if I can't remember that I'm just a mess, I'm just kind of soldiering on, I'm doing the best that I can, if I don't have that grace and mercy for myself... Well, all kinds of terrible things happen, right? But one of the things that has been so life-giving to me is for me to just continue to do what God does, and that is to remember that I'm a mixed bag. And so sometimes when I show up, I just don't, I don't do very well. Sometimes I don't, I, I say things that I don't mean to say something. Sometimes I, I just act in a way that is injurious and I hate that I did it, but I do it and I'll do it again. But having that, 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 that same mindset of God, knowing that I am dust, it just helps me to just be more open to Molly and open to people say, you know, I'm so sorry. I just, I blew it. I do that sometimes. I, I hope that you'll forgive me. And it's equally powerful for me to see Molly in the same way because I can do one of two things. One is really, really powerful and, and connecting. And one is really, really destructive and dividing. If I can look at Molly and say, you know what? You're, you know, like she may, she could be mean sometimes, you know, and if she's mean to me, I could, well, <laughs> 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 
should I not have said that? (laughs) Anyway, or I could just perceive it that way. But anyway, anyway, whatever it is, one way of looking at it is that this woman, she's terrible. She's mean. She's spiteful. She's trying to do that on purpose, you know, right? She's just trying to, to be, you know, get under my skin. And if I see her that way, if I don't see her the way that God sees me, it divides us and it, I pick up a wound and suddenly I'm at war with this woman, right? All kinds of terrible things happen. So I can interpret her behavior that way, that this is who she is and she's trying to be this way and all that stuff. And it's terrible. It divides us. It hurts my heart. It hurts the that I respond to her, all that. On the other hand, same scenario, Molly does the same thing, whatever it could have been, but if I say, you know what, she's, she's just, she's, she's a mixed bag, she's a bit of a mess, she's a little dusty, she's having a rough day just like me. I, I do the same thing. If I can see that she is dust, and I, that opens up the, 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 the pathway for me to respond with grace. Grace can come. Do you guys understand this? Grace can come when we see that we're just kind of messy people, that we're not perfect, that we're people that are in progress. And so if I can see that her heart is good, she's doing the best that she can, that she's just a person in progress, what happens is, is we can stay connected in that. And that's really the whole point of all of this, is that we would stay connected. So many of these poor practices divide us and keep us from connection, but when we put this stuff into place, as we practice it, it helps us to be connected even in our brokenness. And one of my favorite quotes, I quote it all the time, and it's given me so much life, it was uh, something that is a attributed to John of the Cross, one of the old church fathers. I don't know if he actually said it, but somebody said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And so if I can interpret any person's behavior, Molly's behavior, a coworker's behavior, whatever it is, and just say, they're just, they're battling. They're having a rough go. This is, this planet earth is not easy you know what happens? Grace comes and I can stay connected to that person. That's really the purpose of all this. Does that make sense to you guys? Those are the tips. Sounds like empathy. Empathy. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Definitely. You, yeah. Yeah. We can yeah. be together. Yeah. Okay. Can I give you a self-reflection question and maybe do you have one or a... I don't. Okay. Okay. Quick. You get to th- <laughs> just kidding. You don't have to have one. You be you. Oh, you be you. Okay. Cook one up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I would love for you guys just to take a second and think about one of your most significant relationships. Could be your marriage or uh, a friend or a, a boss or any of those things. And I'd like you to think for just a second about this idea of differentiation. And just think how much of your yoke is, do you tend to let leak out into the other person? Can you think of a relationship? And I just would love you to just kind of just do some reflection for a second. Um, do you often think or feel that they are responsible for your feelings in that relationship? Do you find yourself saying stuff like, they make me so angry, right? They just make me so mad. They make me feel frustrated. That's, that was my, I was frustrated. I was never angry because that's, that's a little too much, right? Frustrated. <laughs> Same thing, Molly. Okay. Do you, do you feel like in that relationship that they are responsible for your happiness or your well-being? Do you feel like it's their job? So do you have this unkind of spoken expectation that they're responsible for you or you're responsible for them? And I'd love you just to kind of think about where you are 
in that differentiation process. And then I'd like you just to think for a second about that and just thinking, how could you take back a little bit more power? How could you decide who you want to be in that relationship, how you want to respond like Jesus and kind of just say, okay, here's what I'm going to move towards. I'm going to move towards being able to answer this question in this relationship. Am I learning to love? Am I learning to love here? Can I move towards this goal like Jesus of learning to love, loving till the end? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how they may respond, have responded. I'm going to show up in my call and my value to love like Jesus, to be a disciple, learning to become like him in this relationship. Those were kind of my reflection moments. Cool. All right. Why don't we stand up? Uh, If we can have Sarah, somebody come up. We're going to just take a moment to pray through this. We, um, if you're new here to thrive, we, um, we, we do our worshiping and our, you know, chatting about stuff in the scripture, but we always want to take time to allow God to kind of minister to us, to, to speak to us, to kind of deposit it into our heart. And so, um, I just want to spend just a moment or two just praying and, um, I'm going to ask the, the spirit of God, the Holy spirit to just maybe highlight, um, something that we said today or a person in your life, that you know that God is calling you to um, to connect with, maybe to repent to, maybe to um, uh, just talk, have a conversation with them about some of the things that you might have learned today. But um, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Thank you that you're already in the room here. And we just pray uh, together that you would come and that you would touch our hearts, Lord, especially in this area of how we think of ourselves and how we relate um, to to people in our lives, especially the key people, especially in marriage or uh, just those relationships where our hearts are so front and center. And Lord, there uh, it is just so true that we each each of us we are a mixed bag. We are dust. We don't always do well. We have hurts and wounds from childhood. We have things that we've picked up that are helpful and things that we've picked up that are so unhelpful that they're actually destructive. And so we just ask, Lord, that um, even now, as we just took a Sunday to, to focus and to think about our relationships, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just breathe on us and, and just invite us to uh, a next step of of wholeness and healing in you. And we just thank you, God, that you invented relationships. You came up with the concept of marriage, that you have plans and purposes for our relationships that go way beyond what we think of them and I I ask that you would send your spirit to strengthen places that need reinforcement, truth strength, hope comfort thank you Holy Spirit that you are a comforter you are a helper because you knew that's what we would need and so we just we're not going to do it alone we welcome you Holy Spirit to our marriages to our relationships Come and take your place.
You know, there's that, um, there's that kind of stupid saying, you can't, can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is categorically untrue uh, in the kingdom. God's mercies are new every morning. There's not a, a person in this room, there's not a person at home that can't be made new. There's not a relationship that is, is too far, at least insofar as you're concerned. You don't have control over another person, but God can change you. And if he can change you, so many things can happen. And so, Lord, I just pray that wherever there is strain in any person's heart, wherever there's strain in a relationship, wherever there's kind of like this hopeless resignation that things will never get better, I just pray that you would just wipe that off the slates today. And instead that you would just revive hope in our hearts, Lord. And Father, um, I just feel compelled to pray for courage because the stuff that, that we are talking about, relationships are built, they are forged, they don't just happen. And so I pray for courage in this place, that you would give us courage to humble ourselves, to fight, to learn how to love each moment. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.